0: So our second scripture reading comes from the gospel of mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 25. normally i give you a little bit of context for these stories we'll get to that in just a minute but for now just hear the story as it is jesus and his disciples came to bethsaida and some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him he took the blind person by the hand and led him out of the village And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the person looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a fascinating encounter that Jesus had with a blind man. It's the only story I can recall where it took Jesus two tries to get it right. It's also a fascinating story because it really isn't about the healing of a blind man. It is truly one of those stories where you have to look at what came before and what came after to get what was going on. So let's look at what comes before and after. Some of it we heard last week. I remember last week we talked about Jesus feeding a crowd of 5,000 persons and he challenged the disciples who didn't think it was possible to feed all those people to be creative and figure out how to do it. Of course, Jesus didn't expect them to do it all by themselves. He stepped in and helped and everyone was amazed at the results. Over 5,000 people were fed and leftovers for many, many more. Now, immediately after that story, Jesus' disciples get in a boat. They start rowing across the lake, and a storm comes up. And Jesus walks on water through the storm to get to the boat, and the storm is calmed. We are told that the disciples were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. What an odd statement! make I would have been utterly astounded because I wouldn't have understood how Jesus could calm the sea but somehow they're making a connection back to those feeding that feeding story well read on just a little later there's a second story about Jesus feeding the crowd mark actually contains two miraculous feeding stories this one feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and once again there's more than enough for everyone Then, like after the first story, Jesus and his disciples get in a boat, and Mark tells us that the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Two stories of miraculous feedings, two stories about the disciples getting in a boat and not understanding something about bread. Bear with me. A little later, Jesus has a famous conversation with his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter, being the bold and brash one, says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You are so right. Now I must go suffer and die. And Peter, again, being bold and brash, says, I don't want to hear that. And Jesus says, my own translation, you just don't get it, do you? He just doesn't get it. A little later, we read about the disciples fighting over who's the greatest. And once again, I just can imagine Jesus looking at them going, you just don't get it, do you? You see, I don't think the story is about the blind man. I think it had more to do with blind disciples. What the disciples were struggling with was a brand new understanding of what the kingdom of God Meant. You see, these disciples grew up in a tradition that had drilled into their DNA the idea that one day God would send them a savior, and this savior would overthrow all the powers that oppressed them, would establish a Jewish kingdom where God's people would be free to live lives of joy and luxury and abundance. They would be free to rule their own lives. All the nations of the world would see how wonderful it is and come streaming to that place to worship God and be a part of this new thing. That was drilled into their DNA for centuries. And then along comes Jesus. And the disciples are still thinking, the Messiah has come. God is going to establish a new kingdom for us. Jesus will be our king. They were still thinking about how Jesus had seats of power to give away. Remember the story of the disciples arguing over who was greatest. started out with James and John, the brothers, asking Jesus to give them seats of power at his right hand and left hand when Jesus fully came into his power as king. They were still thinking then about this glorious throne that Jesus would have and how all people would come and worship him they were still thinking about pyramids. You remember back in November, Diana Butler Bass was here. She talked about how the world the disciples lived in was that pyramid structure where you had the powerful elite up at the top, who out of their own generosity allowed some of their, um, some of their wealth, some of their resources to trickle down to the lower classes, who then had to send resources back up to support the top, that's the pyramid structure that they lived in at that time. Well, Jesus' whole ministry was about tearing down pyramids and establishing a different kind of relationship, a different kind of new world order, one that was centered around a dinner table and not a pyramid, one that was centered around everyone having a place and everyone having more than enough. And the disciples just didn't get that. That wasn't the world they lived in. That wasn't what they had been taught their whole lives. That brings me to one of my absolute favorite stories in the gospel that occurs between these feeding stories that we've heard about. It's a story of the Syrophoenician woman. You might remember her. She had a daughter who was uh, ill with a demon and she finds Jesus. Jesus is having lunch. She interrupts Jesus and says, please heal my daughter. And Jesus' response to her was, I'm sorry, I didn't come for you. I came for the Jews, Jews first. And this was a woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. She knew God's table was big enough for her. She knew there was enough grace for her and her daughter. And so she challenged Jesus on this. And Jesus looked at her and basically said, you get it, you understand. The disciples didn't get it. Go back to those odd stories about being in the boat and the disciples not understanding about the loaves or that they had one loaf with them. The loaf, the bread they had with them was Jesus. It wasn't a physical loaf like we have with our sandwiches. The loaf was Jesus Christ. He was the source of life and hope and abundance and nourishment. And there was enough of him for everyone. And he made it available to everyone. There was no litmus test, no nationality test, no language test, not even a belief test. He didn't require that people believe certain things to come to him and be fed. Jesus was willing to be broken so that everyone could have what they need and have an abundant life. Time and time again, we see the disciples missing that point. And yet, just like when Jesus gave sight to that blind man and it took him two tries, he didn't give up on his disciples. He kept showing them, Look, here's another example. There's enough for everybody. Do you get it? There's enough hope for everybody. There's enough love for everybody. There's enough forgiveness for everybody. There is a place for everybody. There is a place for everybody in this world that Jesus came to bring us. And we are called to share that abundance of love and hope and forgiveness lavishly, with those we know we are close to, and with those whom we have never met before. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to extend to the whole world the abundant nourishment that Christ has come to offer us. It's the most important thing we could ever do. It's to recognize that Jesus is not sitting at the top of a pyramid. He is setting a table and there is a place for everyone. And at this table, people will find the bread of life that gives hope to the world. Now, what does that mean for us in concrete terms? Well, it means that following Jesus is not about conquering the world for Christ our own denomination, and many others, went through a time period where that was our sole focus, convert all the heathens in the world to Christ, and that will usher in the kingdom of God. I grew up in Salt Lake uh, high school years, and in uh, the Mormon tradition, when you turn 18, you go out on a one to two year mission. Girls go out on a one year mission, boys go out on a two year mission, And their assignment basically is to convert people to Mormonism. And I was talking to a friend of mine after he got back from his mission and asked him, well, how many people did you convert? Zero. Another friend? I think maybe one. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to share the good news of who Christ is. But our goal is not to put notches on our belt for how many people we have converted. That's not what following Jesus means. Following Jesus is not about making America a Christian nation either. We hear a lot about that, especially at election time, but we've been hearing about that for decades there. But think about this. If we are more focused on making laws than loving people, then Jesus would probably look at us and say, you just don't get it, do you? It's not about keeping laws. It's about what's in our hearts. Because you can't legislate hope. You can't legislate kindness. He can't legislate reverence for life. Besides, once you start legislating those things, it looks an awful lot like a pyramid, doesn't it? Keep it or else. Following Jesus is not about claiming privilege or climbing a ladder. It's about loving others. It's about sharing, even when we're worried about not having enough. Don't be that person who goes to Walmart and buys the last roll of toilet paper when you already have 20 rolls at home. Save it for the person who just ran out. It's about sharing, even when we're worried about not having enough. It's about forgiving, even when it hurts. It's about serving others in the footsteps of Christ, of allowing ourselves to be broken like he did so that people will know they have hope, so they will know they are loved. We have an amazing opportunity to do that right now. As we encourage people who are higher risk with with catching coronavirus to stay home, and I see a number of you here today. Just thought I'd mention that. But as we encourage people to make those choices that will be safe for them and the communities around them, we have to ask ourselves, can we go to the store for them? If you're staying home, do they need someone to go pick up groceries for them? Can we bring them a meal? Can we call them on the phone so they can hear someone talking besides the TV? Can we let them know they haven't been forgotten? Send a note to brighten up their day. How about those parents who still have to go to work and now need to figure out what they do with their kids who are home from school? Is there a way we can help them? I don't have an answer to that one at the moment, but are we at least asking that question? How can we help those who don't have the same resources we do? How about all those kids that rely on the school to get breakfast and lunch every day? They aren't going to be in school to get breakfast and lunch? Can we work with community partners to help provide them food? We just heard about two stories where Jesus basically said, there is more than enough to go around. Can we find ways to share that abundance with those who don't have it? I keep going back to last week's story about the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus looking at his disciples who truly believed there was no way they could do it and just said, you feed them. You feed them. But it's not just about feeding bread. It's about feeding hope. It's about feeding kindness. It's about sharing love. This sermon sounds so much different today than it did even a month ago because there is so much fear in our communities right now And there is fear in this room as well. Who better to remind us and to show everyone else that there is hope and love and kindness than those of us who have heard these stories and who have experienced it in our own lives? Who better to share that than us? If you really want to know what it means to follow Jesus, that's what it is. It is sharing what we have and what we know with others who are afraid. Every chance we get and to everyone we see. Here's the thing, though. We're really good, actually, at doing this when we're in crisis. I can't tell you how many Facebook messages I have gotten from people who don't even go to our church who said, let us know how we can help because they know we have our relationship with McPhee Elementary, they know we do the food market over there. I've got folks who have no connection with this church at all emailing and saying, when you figure out how you can help, let us know we wanna be a part of that. We're really good at doing this when we are in crisis. But are we good at doing it when we're not in crisis? When life goes back to normal? Let's not slip into those old habits of thinking that we are somehow special and deserve special treatment. Let's not slip back into old habits of thinking that everyone has to now be on their own and make it on their own without any help from anybody else. Let's make sharing generously a way of life. Let's make inviting people to the table a daily habit. Let's remember that everyone else is just as loved by God and valued by God as we are, that no one is better than anyone else. Now, I have a confession to make, as I was working on this last night, I slipped. I started to say, and let's make space at the table for everyone. And then I had to erase that because that's an incredibly privileged comment. As if it were my decision who gets to sit at Jesus' table. It's not my decision who gets to sit at the table. It's not my decision who gets to share in the bread of life and who does not, because it's not my table. I don't get to decide who sits at it. That's already been decided. Jesus has already declared there is a place for everyone. So when things go back to normal, let's remember that the table is set and everyone is invited. We just get the joy of issuing that invitation who didn't realize there was already a place for them. And the thing is, is that once we start issuing that invitation and we sit down at the table, we're going to find ourselves sitting next to someone on our right who's very progressive and someone on our left who's very conservative. We're going to find ourselves sitting next to people who speak English and those where English is not their first language. We're going to be sitting next to people who from, are from around here and those who are from half a world away. We are even going to find ourselves sitting next to people who know Jesus Christ in their heart and soul and those who've never heard of him before. Because God's love is not limited. There is enough for everyone. And that is the beauty of the kingdom of God. There is a place for everyone at God's table. And if we get that, then we get who Jesus really is. And when we get who Jesus really is and what he's about, then it is truly a joy to invite people to the table and to share the abundance that God gives us. So I encourage you, during this time when people are afraid, be that person who sets a table for someone else. Be that person who shares hope with somebody else and food with somebody else. But when life goes back to normal, let us not forget what we have learned about God's love for the world. Amen. Welcome to A Critical Faith, a podcast of sermons from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I am Pastor Sue Collar. We are a church where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. We are also a church that is deeply in love with our neighbors, and we seek to make a positive difference in people's lives and partner with them for a better world. The sign of a good sermon is that you leave thinking about what you've just heard and maybe even a little bit uncomfortable, for none of us is perfect and we all have room to grow in understanding, in faith, and in practice. A Critical Faith Sermons can be found in video form on our website, fpclincoln.org slash worship sermons and in podcast form wherever you access your favorite podcasts.